Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We are in a series called Second Nature, and what it is is it's this series on developing sp- strong spiritual habits. And we're going to talk about one today you may not think is a spiritual habit. You may think of like, oh, this is just a part of life, but I don't know if this is a spiritual habit necessarily, because we're talking about friendships today. We're talking about making friends. We're talking about having friendships. Now, the ancient thinkers described friendships in many different ways that might help us, our relationships, I should say. They had this word called agape. Everyone say agape. Agape is this radical love for everyone, right? It's agape love. They had this word called eros, which was romantic love, right? They had this word called storge, which is unconditional family love. And they also had this word called philia, which is this word for deep friendships. And built in their understanding of relationship is that some of these relationships kind of happen to you, right? So you're born into a family. You don't get to choose your brothers and sisters, right? You don't get to choose your parents. In some ways, um, the way we talk about falling in love kind of makes it seem like there's this, uh, there's this element that relationships kind of happen to you, right? Two people meet and they fall in love. There's this there's this uh, unique thing that happens between two people and they get married. And while you might think you have a, a, a choice in the matter, you might also say, man, the cosmic world kind of allowed us to meet at their certain time and we just happen to fall in love at the same time. How many of you understand this? Friendships, you choose, right? Have you ever had someone come to you and say, I'm going to be your friend whether you like it or not? Yeah, that doesn't happen, right? That's not something that happens. In fact, friendships don't happen unless we work at it, right? If you're following in your notes, you can follow there in your outline or maybe uh, through the Bible app. If you go to the menu, you can look at those notes there. Uh, Friendships don't happen where people are forced into a friendships. Friendships don't happen unless we work at it. In fact, they only happen to the degree your work at it, which is interesting because I feel like today friendships have been reduced in their level of importance when we think about relationships. You think about your social media friends, you think about acquaintances, you think about people you may follow online, and you may think you know them because you have access to whatever they want you to have access to, but in terms of having a deep friendship or connection with someone, it may not be accurate. In fact, today, many contexts, friendships can be relatively unimpressive, I would say, or even ignored. Uh, We'll abandon friendships at a drop of a hat. If someone offends me, boom, they're out of my life, right? You only get one chance. Uh, We'll block them. We'll report them on social media. We'll unfollow them. We'll ignore them. We'll be passive aggressive with them. We'll be polite in the grocery store when we see them, but we won't give them another thought throughout the day. Why? Because friendships are hard. Here's some statistics about friendships. 12% of American adults have no close friendships. Think about that number. 12% of Americans surveyed 
have no close friendships. 22% have not made a friend in the past five years. They haven't made a new friend in the past five years. 49%, almost half of those surveyed, have less than four friends. And 40% don't have a best friend. I saw one other stat that I didn't have time to put on the screen. I saw it uh, Saturday morning. 76% of men, 76%, three out of four men, don't have a close and trusted friend they can share anything with on any topic. Three out of four men. Now, how would we describe a friend that's kind of like your soul friend? How would we describe a friend according to Scripture? We're going to talk about that today. First of all, a friend is someone who doesn't let you down, right? A friend is someone who doesn't let you down. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6, verse number 2. Let's read this verse together. Ready? Begin. Bear one another's burdens... And so fulfill the law of Christ. It says to bear one another's burdens. What does that mean? What it means to bear someone's burdens? Well, that means this. If you see someone carrying something really heavy, you go and help them, right? And how do you go and help them? Well, usually it involves two things. Number one is this. You, you go and you get right next to the person, right? You get right next to the person so you can help them. And then at some point, the person holding this heavy object, maybe they're moving a recliner or something, and they're lifting it by themselves. At some point, they're going to allow some of that weight to what? To transfer to you, right? And now in that moment, you're right next to them. Some of the weight has transferred onto you, and now you are bearing their burden, right? What was so heavy for them has been reduced when you were carrying no burden, now you are. You cannot help someone carry a sofa from 10 feet away, right? I've tried. It doesn't work. Yeah. You ever have a moving party and there's like four or five people doing the movie, moving, and like the sixth person is out on the corner and they're not doing anything? Are they bearing anyone's burdens? No. So, so the idea is this. A friend never lets you down. So how can we be a person... How can we be a friend that doesn't let people down? Well, it means this. We get near them and we help carry their burden. So if someone has an emotional burden and they're going through a relationship or a tension in their life and they are having an emotional burden and they call you, right? We may not feel like going over and spending an evening listening to them. We may not feel like being on the phone for an extended period of time. But for some reason, doing one of those two things, staying on the phone or actually going in person, and you know you haven't actually physically done anything, but you've gotten near them, and what will they tell you afterwards? Thank you so much. I feel so much better. Thank you for letting me Vent. Thank you for letting me share. And what have you done emotionally for that person? Well, you have shown your proximity. You've gotten near them, but now you've also relieved some of the burden for them. You are bearing their burden. Some of their weight is sliding onto you. You got near them, and now you're helping them carry the burden. Uh, what if it's a financial burden, right? 
The only way to help relieve someone in an economic burden is if some of this burden falls on someone else. So people come near people uh, and they let some of that financial burden slide onto them. Jonathan Edwards uh, had this uh, essay. He was a preacher back in the 1700s, and he had this essay on friendship, and he had this quote. He said this, If we be never obliged to relieve others' burden, but when we can do it without burdening ourselves, then how do we bear our neighbor's burden when we bear no burden at all? In other words, the idea of friendship is this. It will cost you something to be a biblical friend to someone. It will cost you something. Because there will be moments in that relationship, in that friendship, where they will need you and you will be near them and you will let some of that burden slide onto you as you help them carry. I would go as far as say this. Being a friend will cost you something. And bearing a burden is to take on a burden you didn't have before. And to be a friend is to let some of the suffering of the other person slide onto you. And if a person doesn't do that, perhaps they're just an acquaintance, not a friend. Look at Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18 says it this way. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In other words, you stay with your friend through thick and thin, even to your own hurt, you're there. You stand close enough so that some of the suffering will slide onto you. And if you stay away from that person who is really sinking because you don't want to have to listen to one more night of their woes, if you don't want to help them, if you don't want to be near them, perhaps you're not a friend, you're just an acquaintance. So that's the essence of a friendship. A friendship is someone who doesn't let you down. The second component of a friend is this. A friend is someone who lets you in. So someone who doesn't let you down but also lets you in. What does let you in mean? That means this. You can be transparent with them. You don't have to have a mask. You don't have to have a facade. You don't have to have a a glossy exterior to impress them. You can just be you. Uh, This is the person that if they say, hey, I'll be at your house in two minutes, you don't clean the house for. Right? This is the person that you don't put on something acceptable, perhaps. I don't know why I said that. I was thinking makeup, but then I don't wear makeup, so that felt weird to say. (laughs) You know what I mean. You know what I'm saying. This is someone you can be transparent with. There's no mask. There's no facade. Right? You can be you. Now, it's interesting because in Galatians, Paul never uses the word friend in the verses we're going to look at today. But he gives us what's kind of like a case study of what transparency looks like in the life of a believer. When you have people in your life that won't let you down and that you have let in... What does that transparency look like? What does it look like to let people in? He kind of gives us a case study. Look at Galatians 6 and verse, verse 1. It says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should do what? Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. 
So let's talk about what this verse is saying and what it's not saying. Paul is describing someone who's caught in a sin. We're going to talk about exactly what that means in a moment. But what this verse is not saying is just because you see something, see someone commit a sin, it does not mean you get to tell them about it. It doesn't mean you get to report every sin you see committed. How do I know that? Well, we let Scripture interpret Scripture. So some of the verses that are listed at the end of your outline are these. First Peter 4 says this, Most important of all, continue to show deep love forever for others, for love covers a multitude of what? Sins. It covers the multitude of sins. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, Love does not demand its own way, is not irritable, listen to this part, does not keep record of wrongdoing. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't keep a list of everything someone has done to offend you. Love doesn't keep score. It doesn't keep record of wrongdoing. It goes on to say love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. That's what love does. So a Christian is not called to tattletale on every sin you see committed. Some of you are really disappointed right now. So if it doesn't say that, what does it say here in Galatians 1? Well, what he's saying is this. Transparency and intimacy should happen within the context of relationship. It happens in the context of relationship. So in this situation, a person is caught in any transgression. They're caught in a sin. What does that mean? Well, the the Greek word uh, in this passage gives the idea that there is a pattern of bad behavior and the person is doing something repeatedly. Think about that. There's a pattern of sinful behavior and the person is doing it repeatedly. Not only that, they are harmed by what they're doing or they're harming other people. They're stuck and they can't get out themselves. That's what it means to be caught in a transgression. It means that you are uh, exhibiting a behavior or a pattern of the sinful behavior. You've done it repeatedly. You're harming yourself or you're harming others. You're stuck in this poor pattern, this poor behaviors, and you can't get out yourself. You need help. Do you see the difference of tattletaling on a sin that you might see versus a person you have a relationship with, and now you're helping them get out of this pattern of sinful behavior? This is what Galatians is talking about. So what is our responsibility? According to this verse, what is uh, our responsibility? One of the things you should be doing in Scripture is when you're reading, you should look for the command given to you. So according to this, if we see someone caught in a transgression, what is our responsibility? Read the verse. What's the word? Restore. Restore. We are to restore him, how? In a spirit of gentleness. Now, when I hear these words, um, I think about soft pillows, right? Gently, gentleness. Uh, we We don't have a bunch, but we have a few pillows in our house that serve no purpose whatsoever. They're not a lot. No, I'm not. There's like three, right? And if one of those pillows are out of place, when I read this verse, I think, oh, well, you take that pillow and you gently put it where it should go, right? (laughs) 
restore it gently. That is not what this verse is saying. In in fact, it's quite the opposite. Um, The Greek word here, restore, means it has the same idea as putting a dislocated bone back into socket. Have you ever had a bone go out of joint? I was 18 years old, and it's the last tackle football game I have played. It was when I was 18 years old. In college, we had what was called uh, the Turkey Bowl, aptly named, first of all. Uh, it was around November, and it would just be an all-out, you know, tackle football game. The dorms would play against one another, and it was sanctioned by the school. I remember having to sign a release form for, like, injuries, right? Um, I... I I should have known what that meant, Um, but it was tackle football. Uh, We we got shirts that looked like jerseys, um, and we just played, and it was cold, and it was not quite rainy, but for the purpose of the story, why not? It was raining. Um, By the way, I'm pretty sure during this game is when I decided, you know what I'm going to take up in life? I'm going to be a golfer. I'm going to golf. Like, there's just very little chance of me getting hurt while I'm playing golf. Um, I was on, uh, I'm not very athletic, much to the surprise of most of you, I know. Um, So I played on the line. I was on the defensive line and on the offensive line. And um, so basically for two and a half hours, we just ran into each other. That's all we did. And and it wasn't like I was on the defensive line and then I got to go off the field. Uh, No, you just go on the defensive line and when they got the ball, you just turn around and now you're on the offensive line. You're just like... (laughs) Or the other way around, I should say. So I'm just banging myself against Dale Hipschman. And God bless Dale. Dale was like, um, he was probably a good four to five inches taller than me. We weighed the same amount. His was just better distributed than me, um, his weight. And I, we just ran into each other for two hours playing this game. Um, during the fourth quarter, there was one particular time where he got me good. Uh, He got me good the most of the game, but he did get me good, and um, this shoulder just popped out of place. You play the rest of the game, why not? You know, you just, you don't know any better. Uh, It was in a lot of pain, but I had a lot of pride, and my pride outweighed my pain at that point, right? So you just keep on playing. I remember going to the urgent care later that night, and, and the doctor, you know, he's checking you out, and he's like, how bad does it hurt? I said, well, it hurts a lot. And he said, well, it's going to hurt a lot more in a minute. And then you're going to feel better. It's going to hurt a lot more. And he did. He came right up next to me. And he's like, one, two. And he never, I swear, he never got to three. He just popped it right back into place. And I yelled out a scream. And then I remember, oh, it, it, it did feel better. It was sore. The only way you could possibly get out of the pain of dislocation is the greater pain of relocation because relocation is much more painful. And then after that, you get the relief. That's the word he uses when he says restore him gently. This is not a soft pillow you're putting back into place that was tossed aside. 
He's talking about a very painful process that will inflict even more pain when you try to restore a brother. Restoring someone back into relationship is about inflicting healing pain with humility. Now, here's the thing. If you're a friend, you will do that for a friend. But gently. Now, gently does not mean without causing pain. It is impossible to restore someone who is caught in a transgression, who is caught in a sinful behavior, who's caught in a behavior that's harming themselves and harming others, who's caught in a pattern, a way of living where they're so caught they are stuck and they can't get out. There is no way to restore them without pain. There is no way to restore them back into relationship without inflicting pain. But the idea, Paul says, or the key is to do so with humility, with humility. He says it this at the end of the verse. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. So what is Paul saying? Paul says this, you are not able to correctly, uh, to, to correct somebody with humility if you look at them and you say in your heart, what I would never get tempted with what you got tempted with. If you're trying to restore someone back into relationship and you say in your heart, man, I don't know how in the world they got caught up in this. I don't know how in the world they got caught up in this porn. I don't know how in this world they got caught up in this this obstinate relationship where they're just inflicting harm and verbal or emotional abuse. I don't know how in the world they got caught up in this, this gambling spree. I would never get caught up in that. I would never go down that road. I would never. If that is your attitude in your heart when you go to restore someone, you should do them and yourself a favor and close your mouth. You should not do it. Because Paul is saying... Keep watch, guard yourselves, lest you too be tempted. If you feel superior in any way, if you feel like you would be, never be capable of, of falling into what they got fallen into, what will happen is this, and you'll be clumsy. This is what friendship means. Now, to be fair, a friendship where you let people in and never let you down means you also let people in and you never let them down. And the prospect of this kind of friendship, if we're being honest, is really scary. To, to let someone in, to be completely transparent, for them to see all your faults and your failures, that's kind of unsettling. That's kind of unnerving. So why is this kind of confrontation so difficult? Well, I think for a couple of reasons, it's pretty easy. First of all, it might jeopardize the relationship going forward, right? You ever have yourself in a situation and you say, man, if I I call out this bad behavior that my friend is stuck in, I might lose them as a friend. Have you ever had that moment? Right? It might jeopardize the relationship. And so the silly decision that we make is we say, well, I'm going to let them continue in this poor behavior so I can keep the friendship. Right? Why else is confrontation so difficult? Well, it gives permission for them to restore you gently. 
So it's hard for us. Because when we provide that to someone else, we are naturally inviting them to be that person for us. We are naturally inviting them to say, if my life ever gets off center, I need you to restore me gently. I need you to correct me. I need you to be honest. I need you to be the friend to me that I am trying to be to you. And for most of us, that's really hard. Which is why three out of four men don't have a friend they can tell anything to. Which is why 49% of Americans, maybe in this room, have four or less friends. And 40% of Americans say they don't have anyone they can talk to. I don't want transparency. I don't want criticism. I don't want someone coming in and trying to correct my life. I'm too selfish and I don't want to have to be there for someone. I'm afraid of having someone tell me about my faults. So God knows this about us, and so he inspires Paul, the author of Galatians, to challenge us in Galatians 5, leading up to Galatians 6. Galatians 5 says this, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. So the word conceited is this, is this word that means to be empty of glory. What that signifies is this you're just hungry for glory you need approval you need someone to stroke your ego you need a claim and if this happens if you become conceited where you need that kind of empty praise in your life you will provoke others means you'll lord it over someone that you feel is beneath you or you will envy one another which means you will feel inferior and resentful towards the people you're feeling towards so how can we embrace godly friendships? Well, it's in Galatians 6 and verse 2 where Paul says this. We read it earlier. Let's read it again. Ready, begin. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So it's right under our noses. Paul does not say, bear one another's burdens because I said so. Bear one another burdens because it's the right thing to do. Bear one another burdens because you don't know any better. He gives a reason here. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the law of Christ here means, most likely means, the pattern of Christ. Typically, when we see the law of Christ, we assume that it means scripture, but the word specifically used here is most likely a reference to this idea of following the pattern of Christ. So the way we embrace godly friendship is to follow the example of Jesus. And that's the secret. So bearing someone's burdens means to get right near them and share the weight of their burden. How many of you understand Jesus did not just get near us? He became a human being for us. Christ did not let a little bit or part of the suffering slide onto him. He took it all. Aren't you glad he took it all? Isaiah 53 describes it this way. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest woe, or deepest grief, I should say. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. He didn't share our weaknesses. He carried it all. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. 
And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. And all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. There's this ultimate burden bearing that Jesus Christ took upon when he went on the cross. He took on all of our punishment, all of our guilt. Why? Because he's the ultimate friend. And he says what he did on the cross, this is the ultimate act of friendship. John 15 is where we'll end today. John chapter 15 says it this way. This is such a beautiful chapter because this is uh, Jesus and he's talking to the disciples about what it's going to look like one day when he dies. About the Holy Spirit coming into their life. And he gives them this discussion on friendship. He says this, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's really beautiful because Jesus is speaking these words knowing he's about to go to the cross. He knows he's about to give his life. And he's tried to foreshadow that. He's tried to prepare the disciples. And they themselves are hearing these words and they haven't necessarily wrapped their minds around what it looks like to lay down their life for their friends. It's still, it's still, um, it's still in theory, right? But here he kind of teases out what's about to happen on the cross. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Verse 14. You are my, command, you are my friends... If you do what I command. And then verse 15. Let's read this together. Ready, begin. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. You are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You're no longer my slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. You're my friends, since I have told you everything the Father has told me. A friend is someone who lets you in and who never lets you down. Someone who you've let in and who never lets you down. So this idea of friendship, you think, my goodness, is this really a spiritual habit, Daniel? And I would say this, yes, because it takes work. It takes effort. It'll cost you something. And you may not see the results right away, but you will gain the value of friendships over the course of your life. Friend is someone who lets you in and who never lets you down. We're talking about friendships today, but I would, I would say in a room this size with this many people, and maybe if you're watching it later today, um, you may need to just embrace what Jesus is calling you into today. And that's into an ultimate relationship with him. So you think about this idea of letting someone in and having that person never let you down. This is the promise of Jesus. That if we let him in, 
He'll never let us down. Can I tell you that doesn't mean we'll not have bad days? Can I tell you that doesn't mean we won't have relationships that feel like they're falling apart? It doesn't mean that your bank account will never hit zero. It doesn't mean that um, chaos is not gonna ensue on a random Tuesday afternoon. It doesn't mean your boss is gonna be suddenly awesome when they weren't before. It doesn't mean your kids are gonna be suddenly awesome when they weren't before. It just means that in every one of those seasons we've described, because you've let Jesus in, he will not let you down. What does that mean? He's going to be near you and he's going to carry your burden. You see how this all comes back together? The promise of friendship in the New Testament is a description of what Jesus does for us. It's a beautiful, beautiful example for us. So as we strive to be friends to people and we get near them and we carry their burdens because we are, we, are, we are gonna be that kind of friend as, as people let us in and we try to restore them with gentleness, right? And, and try to correct them when they go uh, off track and then give them permission to correct us when we go off track. What we are doing is saying, the friendship, the relationship I have with Jesus, I seek to emulate with those around me. And those are the life-giving relationships that will grow a follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.